yo, 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 come on, yo, 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 we did this great vocal warm up thing before we started to check the levels and and it was it was hilarious. You should have been there, folks. Welcome to the Macabre Podcast Universe. It's the podcast that exists. I can't remember why. To prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals. I don't know. It's just a guess. That's your guess? Yeah. Well, it's dead on, honey. Oh. Sweetheart. Uh, and we are talking, we went back way back in time. And uh, we're talking about the Mabuse movies. They kind of, they kind of, now that we heard the name in this. oomph into it. Yeah, it's not Mabus. It's or Mabuse. Mabuse. It's Mabuse. And and even even I heard Fritz Lang in an interview pronounce it Mabu. Oh. No, no cute. S-E. Uh, so we're talking about this pretty iconic series with uh, some pretty interesting film history. And we got kicked off last week with the four and a half hour silent film. Now we make the bridge and the jump to sound, um, which is pretty interesting. I don't know of any like series proper uh, that has a jump like that. No. Um, there may be. I'd love to hear it. You know, I know you could probably say like, you know, the tramp or something like that, like Charlie Chaplin, but those, that's not like, but that's a character, right? Yeah. It's not like a continuing story. Yeah. Um, so this is pretty unique as far as film franchises go. Although this might fall under it. If there are so many Mabuse movies, we're just choosing three of them. What do you mean? Didn't you say there are a ton of Mabuse movies? Yeah. There's like seven or eight, I think, including a couple remakes. So how come we're only doing three? Well, we're doing the the Fritz Lang movies because did those other ones come after these first three? There, I uh, let me let me look it up really quick. Uh, but cover for me if you would be so excuse me so kind <laughs> because if they have been throughout these three uh, movies, then it would make sense that it would kind of fall under the tramp kind of situation as well. Yeah. Um. So, okay. Actually, there are these three movies, and then uh, the the last Fritz Lang movie comes out in 1960, and then in 1961 is the return of Dr. Okay, Mabuse. so I do think that this is different. Yeah, and then there's the Invisible Dr. Mabuse, and then there is the Testament of Dr. Mabuse, a remake, and then there's Scotland Yard Hunt's Dr. Mabuse, uh, not a remake, The Secret of Dr. Mabu, and then there is The Vengeance of Dr. Mabu, Dorian Gray in the Mirror of the Yellow Press. I don't know how that has to do it. Um, Dr. M, Dr. Mabu, Dr. Mabu, The Thousand and One Lives of Dr. Mabu. So there there are others. These were the only ones that seemed significant. Um, and, and it did seem, like I said in our last episode, much like Sherlock Holmes, if we were like, hey, let's cover Sherlock Holmes we would choose like a creative team. We wouldn't like the Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, we would not be like, okay, we're gonna cover every theatrical Sherlock Holmes movie because Same with James Bond, in my opinion. Yeah, that one's easier though. It is because it is, it, you go by actor. You go by actor, and there's not like multiple, th- th- and they're all popular to yeah. some degree. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's hard enough for us to get our audience and I'm not saying this is bad for our audience, but it's hard enough to convince someone to watch a four and a half hour silent film. That's one of the more famous movies ever made than it is to be like, Hey, do you want to watch, uh, Dr. M the, one of the late, uh, Mabuse movies that no one has seen, right. even people who watch these movies. 
So that that was also part of what you know informed that decision. Um, but let's catch the listener up on what we did after we watched this movie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Watched the last movie. So we watched Doctor Mabuse the Gambler, uh, which was excellent, really awesome. Um, and and you know what? Also, if you decided, hey, I I just can't watch these. I think you should reconsider. So a little art f- film history, it's good for you. Uh, but if you're like, no, really, I don't want to listen to this episode because there's some insane Nazi uh, historical elements to this movie that are wild. So it's worth learning about either way. Um, but Fritz Lang is the director of Metropolis, one of the most famous movies ever made as well. Um, I I did see that that is kind of cited as like the first real full-length science fiction movie. Okay. Uh, which totally makes sense. Yep. Uh, that's a movie that's been on my radar and a movie I've been wanting to watch for a very long time. Yeah. And we finally, we finished The Gambler, and we were like, let's watch Metropolis. So we watched he made it. that in between The Gambler and The Testament. Yep, yep. So we watched it, and boy, howdy. That thing honks. Yeah. Uh, it is... Probably my favorite of the Langs I've seen. Okay. Although M, I might like a little more. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, I did like it more than both both Mabuse movies. Riveting movie. So good. Yeah, and, and I'd recommend, if, if you're a listener, uh, just pick a, a soundtrack that you like, because we did this. We turn on the soundtrack to Arrival. And we played it in the background, muted the movie because there was weird, like, stings of score, but it wasn't, like, correct. It was very strange. And we watched it, and it was also shocking how often the scores would line up with what was happening on screen. With the pacing and stuff, yeah. And it really, like, because we watched, I think, like, a half hour, then we couldn't finish it. And then the next day, we watched two hours, and it felt shorter than the half hour the day before. Like, 45 minutes, but yeah. Yeah, because we had the score running in the background. Uh Uh-huh. And um, I'm going to remember that move for when I'm watching silent films that don't have a designated yeah. score on them. Um, but yeah, highly influential. Uh, a movie much like this movie that comes out and people are like, yeah, whatever. Um, although this movie was a little better received. We'll get into that. Okay. But uh it was also a band movie. Yeah, you so. said H.G. Wells um, criticized Metropolis. Yeah, he said it kind of ripped him off a little bit. Um, and and once again, I think... The scandal. I know. I, I think the impression I'm getting from both these two Mabuse movies and Metropolis is that like American audiences were not ready for these movies. Uh-huh. And they H. were... H.G. Wells isn't American. Oh, oh is he, he not? Isn't he British? Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna look it up. But even even disregarding that, like the New York yeah. Times was not a fan of Metropolis, and like some critics didn't think it was very good. Um, English, English. Okay, so had that wrong, but still the point stands uh-huh. that I think American audiences were not ready for Fritz Lang. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, in part, uh, the one of the problems with that is they were shown. Wow, Jordan's pop filter fell off and almost went into her cup of tea. Um, but uh, in the U.S., they were shown truncated versions of these movies that were really edited. 
And, and then, why did they do that? Um, just because they thought it would appeal better to an American audience with a different cut. Yeah, I think with uh, the first Mabuse movie, The Gambler, it, it was like, we can't show an American audience a four and a half movie. movie. Well, I think it was, oh, okay. That's way By too the time, long. But, but originally that movie was released in two parts. In Germany. In Germany. So by yeah. the time it, like America would get They're it. They're like, let's just cut a bunch of stuff, make it you know a two okay. hour movie or whatever and show it to audiences. So people were like, eh. And yeah. and I do think, you know, we talked about it last week that though it's four and a half hours, like, I don't think it's very necessary to cut anything, personally. Like, I feel like it all fits a really great tone. It's very long, of course, but, um, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I think. And mm-hmm. Metropolis, I believe they were shown also a bit of a truncated version, you know, like 10 or 20 minutes cut off. Um, and then for years with Metropolis, there there was missing footage. And it wasn't until 2010 that they found in this museum in Argentina, they found a print that filled in the gaps of about 20 minutes. So now, That's a lot. I know, the current Metropolis we have, I think is like somewhere between like five and seven minutes shorter than the original cut. Wow. And it was wild because I was reading all about it and even... It's more recent, as in, like, since 2010, that people have, like, fully embraced Metropolis as a masterpiece. That's crazy. Yeah. There, there are still people, you know, there's someone like Martin, Martin Scorsese who's, like, always been a fan mm-hmm. of Metropolis. Roger Ebert really liked it. But I don't think until 2010, with that missing, like, 20 minutes of footage that was added, people saw some of the stuff explained. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's this character that's chasing someone the whole time who has the craziest face. And it just seems, remember he's like chasing, man? yeah, the thin man. He just kind of shows up in the old versions that we didn't have the complete cuts and we didn't know like who sent him or why. Oh, okay. So there's just this random guy. And then there was also some stuff cut with like, th- there was this guy who thought that American audiences would be confused that uh, the leader of Metropolis had an ex-wife named Hell, H-E-L. So he just cut everything that had Hell in it. In because like of the, H-E-double hockey sticks? Yeah, because he thought like every, Americans would be confused. And so that cut like five minutes and kind of some of the most pivotal stuff in the movie. So for like 80 years, people are watching this movie and they're like, yeah, they kind of make this weird jump to this android whatever. Huh. And so now with 2010 the version of it, it's like, oh, this is like a very complete story. Didn't you say that Nazis, uh, the Nazi party, like, liked this movie? Talking Metropolis? Yeah, for, like, the wrong reasons. Yeah, so, um, well, I, we're going to get to that. Okay. Uh, but but Mike did mention that in our last That's episode. where I heard it. That Hitler really liked Metropolis, and it started getting them, like, I like this German guy, or Austrian, but, um... We, man, he should make films for our propaganda unit. Which, I have all that info, uh, and it's pretty strange and exciting stuff. So, um, but let's get into it. So, after Mabuse, he, the first one, he makes a five-hour movie called De Nubelungun. Oh my gosh. Which is probably great. <laughs> uh, then he makes Metropolis. And Metropolis is so over budget that it nearly bankrupts the studio... It's a total flop. I would believe that. Yeah. It's a flop when it comes out everywhere. No, People just don't like the movie. It, t- it literally takes 80 to 90 years for people to appreciate this movie. Um, but yeah, it, it started with a 1.5, um, you know, whatever their currency was, budget. 
and then it it escalated to a 5.3 and went way over dates and all that stuff. And he starts becoming a bit of a tyrannical director. Mm. So this is like kind of abusive on set. Uh, You know, there's a lot of water scenes in Metropolis and you have actors and actresses that are like, you know, like freezing in water, just Mm, like mm -hmm. you have children in water, children in water. A lot. Although someone pointed out that those were the happiest children they'd worked with because Germany was so bad yeah. at those times economically that those kids were like fed a meal every day and they oh, were like totally happy to be there. Sad. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, and then he makes two more silent films, Spies and Woman in the Moon. And then his first sound movie is M, okay. which, I mean, we should probably watch very soon because you'd love it. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's probably my favorite of his, uh-huh. which is saying something. These are great movies, all of these that we've watched. Um, that's his first sound movie, and then he makes The Testament of Dr. Mabuz. Um, and this movie is, again, written by his him and his wife, uh, Fritz Lang. His mistress and then his wife. Yeah. Thea von Harbo. Who wrote Metropolis. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, I know. They had a... Yeah, she's great a, working relate. Well, I mean, I hope I don't exactly well, know, but we're gonna yeah. find out. They some had stuff. a for a time, a working relationship. Okay, so we we were able to turn on a little fan. So there might be a little background noise. Maybe I shouldn't even point it out. But Jordan is very pregnant right now. Yeah, and we got to keep and this sick. This place. Yeah, it's a classic and- sick episode. <laughs> Everybody's favorites. Um. Yeah, and Jordan... This baby's going to come out with a cold, I swear. <laughs> you uh, just got your coloring books. You may as well tell them about it now. It's It'll be August, but maybe... Or no, it'll be September when this comes out, but maybe there's still some left. Yeah, go to jordanremacawart.bigcartel.com to get my new coloring book that I made a lot of new artwork specifically for this coloring book. Cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I wish I was, well, I guess I should try to do it because you've already done the art. I should try and do one. Like color one? Yeah. Oh. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. Be relaxing. I'd enjoy it, I think. I think it's relaxing for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, we'll see if, I might have to buy one from you. We'll see. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so before I get into how this was made a little bit, I just want to point out cinematographer Carl Vosch. Uh, Vash, I mean, and then Fritz Arno Wagner. Fritz Arno Wagner did Spies and M, so he's worked with him before. Who is this? Uh, the cinematographer. Oh, okay. Uh, music is by Hans Erdmann. Hans. So, Hans. Yes, thank you. Uh, so there was music for this movie. Um, I think there was on our... Yeah, there was, because yeah. this was sound. This is, yeah. I, was, I thought we were talking about Metropolis again. Um, yeah, the music was very, very light and very... Yeah, it was. I mean, this is early composing for the screen in this way, so it's not there yet, Yeah, uh, in my opinion. But um, it was interesting to see how they did it. But it only popped up like three times maybe throughout the movie. Hmm, I guess I, don't, I didn't really notice. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. But what was cool was the use of sound in this movie was actually pretty interesting, uh, which we'll get into. Okay. Yeah. Um, the movie comes out... April 21st, 1933, in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't say Germany because this movie gets banned in Germany. 
but we're not there yet. And uh, if I if I start being, if you're like Micah, you've talked too much, feel free to cut me off. I just got a lot of cool stuff to tell you here. So the author of the Dr. Mabu story, I keep mispronouncing it, but I think I'm just going to call it that. Uh, Norbert Jacques, Jacques? Jacques. Jacques was approached in 1930 to make a story so they could make a Mabu female villain movie. Okay. Um, and so at the time, he'd only written the one novel. Oh, okay. Which did well, and the movie did well. And so he starts writing a novel called... So this is a um, Hannibal situation where they came yes, to the author yes. and they were like, we need you to write another book. Uh-huh. And then the author's like... Writing's actually really hard to me. I, for me, I can't just like do that. And then they're like, "Okay, fine, we're gonna do it anyway. It's not your baby anymore." And then he's like, "Okay, I'm just gonna whip out a crappy book." And that's what he did. And and then we have Hannibal. Uh, it's like that, but it's a happier ending. <laughs> <laughs> because what happens is he starts writing this book called Mabuse's Colony, and in the novel, this character named Frau Christine gets a copy of Mabuse's testament for a world of terrorism and crime. Uh huh. Which is a pretty good idea. Uh-huh. I like that. And so Jacques and Lang and Harbo, they all go on vacation together. They're friends. And they start talking about this. And then Jacques sends Lang his unfinished book. Okay. And Lang is reading it, and he's he's thinking, I really like the testament angle of this specifically. And so he writes an outline that is separate from Mabuse's colony. Okay. And so... The movie winds up actually being based on Lang's outline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of interesting already. I've never really yeah. heard of something like that. That is pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, um, and I forgot to look up if the, let's see, if the other story was ever. Yeah, so the the second book he wrote is Das Testament de Dr. Mabu, uh, and it was written in the early 1930s, is what we're talking about right now, but not published until 1950. Whoa. Under the title Dr. Mabuse's Let's Spiel. So, uh, yeah, and then there was an unfinished novel that came out in 1994. Okay. So, there's really not a lot of books about Mr. Doctor. Feels like more of a Fritz Lang thing. Yeah. Which is is quite unique. Uh, so, I mean, just imagine there was like one Spider-Man comic and then they made all these movies and we're like, huh? There was just one? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, this is also maybe one of the earlier examples of a shared universe because Detective Loman is also Detective Loman and the actor in M. Okay. Uh, yeah. I love that guy. He was yeah. so awesome. But same actor. Same actor, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He was so good. He reminded me so much of Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. He also, and it's been a while since I've seen this movie, so I might just be misremembering, but he kind of reminded me of the judge and witness for the prosecution. I It's been so, I've only seen that one time. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's great, too, because that movie has a big twist, and I forgot what it was. So if we if me I too. watched it again, I'd be like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Um. They use real guns, real fire, and real explosions in this movie. Mm-hmm. The cinematographer said that they were in a constant state of panic on set <laughs> because of this. Um, 
And Wait, which movie does he become tyrannical about? Metropolis? Metropolis, I think, is when we really cite it. And then since then, I mean, in M, he threw the main actor, Peter Lorre, down a flight of stairs. He did? To get uh, a better performance out of him. What? <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, exactly Was what I said. Was the character supposed to fall downstairs? I don't remember. Um, but Jeez. Yeah. But having said did that. Did it work? That the last scene and the last monologue in that movie is one of the best endings in a movie. Period. Yeah, it's like the immediately always makes me think of the Shining. Kubrick thing. But yeah. and it's like as I'm drinking out of the Overlook Hotel mug. Yeah, and it's like okay, with hindsight and all this stuff, though, it's like worth it. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Not okay. Not okay. Overall, not okay. Not, and I think there's more examples of not being abusive on set and it working out than being abusive on set yeah. and it working like, out. Like, so, pretty much any relationship. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, yeah. So, at the end of this movie, when there's that factory explosion, uh -huh. I thought those were miniatures. Not the case. Makes sense why they spend so much time showing it. Yeah. Uh, which... I, I would think if you were in the theaters, that would probably be like Tom Cruise jumping off of a motorbike into a canyon and using a parachute. You'd be like, holy cow, uh -huh. this is crazy. Um, years and years later, Fritz Lang said that he would not do the supernatural scenes if he could redo the movie. He thinks those hurt the movie. Really? Yeah. I think that's what, a dumb what, opinion. What would, he, what would he do? <laughs> I think just let the movie play out without those scenes. Be pretty confusing, I would feel. I think so too. Okay. And I thought those were my favorite parts of the movie. Uh -huh. So that's weird. Um there's also this which is crazy. So during the early years of sound films, before dubbing and subtitling, uh one way that they would present a film to a foreign audience, and this is from Wikipedia, I'm just verbatim, to a foreign audience was to record the film with a translated screenplay with foreign language cast. As this was time-consuming and expensive procedure, most filmmakers who did this tended to only make one alternate language feature. Um, producer Seymour Nebenzal felt that creating this alternate version would enhance the international sales for the Testament of Dr. Mabu. And so Fritz Lang also directed the French Testament of Dr. Mabu, which came out around the same so time. So they, like, reshot the movie? With French actors. Dude, that's And then there was... Nuts. One character who spoke French, and he he stayed in both versions. Um, and then Dr. Mabu was overdubbed because okay. they kept him. Um, so they start filming this movie in 1932. Hitler rises to power in 1933. And so this movie is going to come out in 1933 when Hitler is like Hitler. Um, and then a little background here. Fritz, his mother has Jewish parents, so there mm -hmm. he is Jewish, mm -hmm. slightly. Um, not oh, slightly, but I mean... He I mean, is. He, he, he referred to it, because I was watching okay. an interview, as okay. like, he was Catholic, and his mom was converted to Catholicism, but he did but have he, Jewish blood. Jewish heritage, yeah. yeah. Um, and so around this time, his wife, Thea Van Harbo, starts to sympathize with the Nazis. What? And they get divorced. What? In 33, I believe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So then, uh, before this movie comes out, Joseph Goebbels, uh, the yeah, famous yeah, yeah. minister of propaganda, very, very bad Nazi man, uh, calls Lang to his office and says that 
the Testament is being banned, but I want you to run the German film studio in UFA. Uh, The German film studio UFA, that's the name of it, sorry. Um, So he gets offered this job to basically make films for Germany, which will, of course, have to be vetted and all of that. And um, he responds and says, my mother has Jewish parents. And uh, Goebbels responds, we decide who is Aryan. Uh, So they're like, you know, we're going to give you a pass. Uh, Goebbels tells him that when Mabuse appears to the professor driving at the end of the movie, he said, that's no good. He said, uh, the professor needs to be killed. Uh, and Lang says, what a wonderful idea. That's so smart. I love it. In his mind, he's going, I hate this idea. It sucks. But he's like, what am I going to yeah, tell this tell guy? Him? Yeah. Um, and so during this meeting, Lang goes, I have to flee Germany. I have to get out of here. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And so he's like, he keeps looking at the clock. And th- there's an interview. William Friedkin is interviewing him, the director of The Jeez, Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching this. And he keeps saying, I'm looking at the clock. And I'm seeing that the banks are going to close. Gosh. And so he goes, but I got to g- flee to Paris. So by the time the meeting's over, banks are closed. He runs home, talks to Thea, asks if he can, you know, sell some of her jewelry, sells some jewelry, leaves that night, flees, never comes back to Germany. Now, that's the story he told everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> but here's what's weird about it okay. and and this you know if you'll remember last episode we talked about how it's possible fritz lang potentially murdered his first wife we don't know mm-hmm. so this is another weird thing i think it's very possible that that the meeting happened but um his passport says he traveled to and from germany throughout 1933 okay uh and he left left like fleed four months after his supposed meeting. Okay. Um, and Goebbels' diary shows no mention of the meeting. Okay. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Hmm. I do not know. But it seems like, yes, they would probably want to take advantage of this artistic genius. Yeah. So I think the meeting thing could have happened, but there's definitely something lost to either his memory Probably not, or maybe he's kind of lying about something. Yeah. Um, which like maybe, like, even if it's as simple as maybe he was ashamed of not leaving as soon as he could, or as soon as mm, he wanted. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it maybe, it, maybe it's something like that, or he actually couldn't leave that soon. Not a shame thing, but just something else. He just yeah. couldn't leave soon. I mean, he's married. But Re- it is... Regardless of her starting to sympathize or not, it's like, it's not an easy decision. Right. But what's what's crazy is, you know, he's he's telling the story and it's so full of details, uh-huh. you know, where it's like, I'm looking at the clock. I know that the banks are going to close. I got to get to Paris. And then it's like, but then you left four months after that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of weird. Have you heard about that? Um, it's a couple in North Korea or, or when like all that stuff was going down in North Korea. Well, which time? <laughs> well, like. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sick, so I'm having a hard time yeah. formulating my thoughts. Apparently, I've never looked into it, but I've I've heard that there's like these. I think they're they might be married or something, but okay. it's like a they're a directing team, and they were kidnapped to North ah, Korea. This sounds familiar to make movies for them, and I yeah. don't think they've ever come back. 
Yikes. I'm, but then again, I've never looked further into it and I can't remember where I've heard it, but I've heard that like people like North Korea has kidnapped Koreans. Oh my gosh. To like, to do stuff for them in that stuff in that way. Does North Korea like put out films internationally? No. Well, no, no. It's one of those things though, where it's like, even if they did, wouldn't even anyone really show it? Yeah. But also I would say no. Yeah. Well, it's just like, we still get Chinese films and they're communists. Yeah. And they have a pretty crazy government. Um, I think we even still get... But I mean, they censor a lot. Not right now, but we do get Russian films still. Yeah. Um, right, right now, I doubt we're getting any yeah, films yeah, yeah. from Russia. But it's it's kind of interesting that I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a North Korean film. No. And then South Korea is booming, has this amazing, you know... Film industry. Film industry, and... And it's like definitely broken through to American audiences where it's like not uncommon for an audience member to be familiar with a lot of South Korean movies. Mm -hmm. And yet the country right above, we don't have really anything from. As far as I know, I would love to, if anyone knows anything about that, please, I'd be very interested. I'm going to forget after this recording because we're about to have a baby. But um, context, context, context when you text. Yes, yes, please. Because yes, you're going to text me three months after, and you're going to be like, North Korean film, boom. And I'm going to go, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I need the context, okay? So, um, the Nazis, so now we're back to like what we know is true. The Nazis banned the movie. And Goebbels has said that the film, quote, showed that an extremely dedicated group of people are perfectly capable of overthrowing any state with violence. And that's his reasoning for banning it. Okay. Which is interesting because... That makes me feel like he thinks the audience is sympathizing with the criminals. Because the criminals are the ones inciting violence, not the Okay, can you state. read the quote again? He said that the film showed that an extremely dedicated group of people are perfectly capable of overthrowing any state with violence. Yeah, I think, I think absolutely anything that could plant a seed of doubt in the yeah. German mind during that time was enough to ban anything. Right. Because it in this movie, the organized crime is very tight and very um, figured out. I'm I'm like impressed. Right. It's but, it's, a, it's a, as impressive as what's the movie with Robert Redford and Paul Newman, the the Sting. Yeah. Where you have them doing that, and it's like this is impossible. You oh yeah, you, yeah. You're yeah. never gonna get this many people on yeah, board. Yeah. But um, yeah. But I I find it interesting that he banned the movie. Because, like, the criminal organization and Mabu are allegories for the Third Reich and Hitler. Uh-huh. And he banned it because he, he's saying that, like, people would look at the crime organization, an allegory for us, and know that a government can be overthrown. Thinking that people would sympathize with the allegory for the Nazis in the movies. That's just a weird yeah. Wo- yeah. reason to ban the movie. Um, but having said that... Um, when the professor is visited by the doctor, as in Mabu, I'm trying to avoid saying the name because now I'm feeling weird about it. But when he's Mabuse, when he is when he's visited by him after he dies, uh, he says a quote to him: "The whole reign of terror and stuff that is that is like Hitler quote, just with like a couple of words changed." So. I'm also, I'm sure that's a red flag for him, Uh you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So 
The French version with English subtitles was released in the U.S. in 1943. Uh, in 1951, the German version was released uh, to the Germans because they hadn't seen mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, and it was 75 minutes with the title The Crimes of Dr. Mabuse. Uh, and it had an English dub. The English subtitles for the 1943 release and the 1952 dub added allusions to Hitler. Uh, the Testament of Dr. Mabuse was first shown publicly in Germany on August 24th, 1961. So the, 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 <laughs> the first time this movie was shown in its proper format 1961. was in 1961 wow. in Germany. Although it was still only 111 minutes, but still, that's pretty good. Um, or no, that's how long the movie was. Yeah, because it was a little under two hours. Oh, I thought it was two hours. Oh, yeah, okay. you're probably right. No, there were there were the, all those title cards at the beginning that don't count. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, in 1973, the unedited German version of the film was released in the U.S. So you know, I think that's another reason why it took American audiences so long to get it because they're getting the wrong versions of the movie, mm-hmm. and they're getting like the Nazi-approved version of movies. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. So um, Lang wrote a foreword on the American release, and I just wanted to read this. I thought it was interesting. He said, The film was made as an allegory to show Hitler's processes of terrorism. Slogans and doctrines of the Third Reich have been put into the mouths of criminals in the film. Thus, I hope to expose the masked Nazi theory of the necessity to deliberately destroy everything which is precious to a people. Then when everything collapsed and they were thrown into other despair, utter despair, they would try to help in the new order. But the German cultural critic Siegfried Krauser in his book From Calgary to Hitler commented that Lang's comments smacks of hindsight, but his own analysis of the film indicates that it foreshadows Nazi practices and retroactively reveals Dr. Mabuse the Gambler, Lang's first Mabuse film to be one of those deep-rooted premonitions which spread over the German post-World War I screen. Still, despite the Nazi ban of the film, Krauser is dubious that the average German filmgoer would have seen the analogy between Baum and Mabuse's elaborate criminalization and the Nazis. So, I I think I probably agree with that film critic because I'm seeing that that Lang's a little fast and loose with stuff, so he's like, I I thought of all of this stuff right when we made the movie. But I, he is still thinking that, but maybe not so clearly Literally, thought out. Yeah. Um, and then finally, my last note is that Christopher Nolan himself cites this movie as a huge influence on the crafting of the criminal mastermind played by none other than Heath Ledger, none other. the Joker. Yeah. So. What? Did you not hear I, what I said? Yeah. Did you have more to say? No, he, this this oh, movie's okay. just like one of the main. So, I mean, if you like The Dark Knight, you have to watch this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have this movie to thank for making the best Joker. I Joker had a lot of loyal people with him too. Yeah. So, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you gonna hit me with some actors? <sighs> okay. <laughs> you don't have to go crazy deep or anything. Um, Otto Wernick plays Inspector Carl Lohman, like you had mentioned. Um, he's, he's also an M, like Mike had mentioned. He's in a Titanic, not that Titanic, but a different one from 1920, 1943. 
Interesting. I didn't know there was one that predates ours. Third Reich's Nazi propaganda epic about a heroic fictional German officer on board of the Titanic. Sounds actually pretty fun. That's really fascinating. Um, and then... <coughs> sorry. The Nazis trying to get the Corps de la Mer. <laughs> um, and then Tommy Bordell plays Professor... The Professor. Um, he's also in Fantomas, Iceland Fisher... Iceland Fisherman. That's all German. And yeah. it all continues to be German. Um, Thomas Kent is played by Gustav Diesel. Okay. Someone beat you <laughs> to it, Vin. Don't know what to tell you. You're not that unique. <laughs> um, he's also in Pandora's Box. Okay, uh, that's a big movie. Yeah. That's a big movie, yeah. That's a, that's in the 1001 movies to watch before you die. Oh, it, interesting movie. Um. Which is a German movie. Okay. And all of it's German. I mean, yeah. I think this is German. Well, he plays Jack the Ripper in that movie. In Pandora's Box? Yeah. Sounds like you're going to want to watch that one when I get to it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and then... Um, the original true crime, <laughs> Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Lily is played by Monique Rowland. Um, that's who Kent... That's the love interest. Yeah. She's also in Foolish Husbands. Oh, they are so foolish. The Barber hey. of Seville um, and other German things. Yes. Is that everybody well, that you want to well, hit? Let's, I mean, that's the important players. Right. Because there are a lot of people in this movie. Oh, yeah, there are. So the movie begins, and uh, we're introduced to this character. Uh, I didn't catch his name. Hofmeister or something. Hofmeister, Yes. And um, we'll find out that he is basically a disgraced detective. Trying to get back his reputation. Yeah, and he stumbled upon something. He had been investigating some illegal activity. And yeah. And he was in this place. Kind of this lab almost. Yeah. And there's this crazy like sound loop that's like... Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and it really set a very ominous tone for the movie. I thought he was a bad guy, which maybe you're supposed to think that. Yeah, I, I did at first as well, because I thought he was going to, like, kill these, you know, nice scientists. But it <laughs> turns out he's not. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're in there, and they, they these two dudes come in there, and he's hiding, but basically they discover him. Yeah. But they keep it hush-hush that they do. Right. And they grab, like, I'm assuming it's the Testament. Is that what it was? Okay. I don't, I don't know, though, because the professor had it. So I don't know if this is something. But it looks like they had, it was, like, plans. Okay. It was, like, paper. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I think it's a part of it. I mean, I think okay. there's there's uh, many Testaments, yes. Now, now, here's one thing that I don't know if I got full clarification on in the movie. Um, the Testament, is is he, like, hypnotically getting it out there? Did did we ever find out how it got to the criminal organizations? No. I don't okay. think so. Okay. Okay. Hmm. I never thought about that. I was kind of waiting for the shoe to drop on that, like there to be like, oh, he hypnotizes this person and that's how that happens. Or he I think is... from, I just filled in the blank in my head where it's like, because of the events of the last movie, he whipped every, like the people up into a frenzy. Yeah. Was arrested and everything. And it's like some people still believe in him 
and they still believe in the work that he did. Sure. So he'll like the Joker. Like he'll always have a follower. Yeah, that I mean that's cool. I think that's what I just filled in in my head. Yeah. Um it's it's very interesting that for a movie that he's quite iconic. These are some very iconic stuff. He is not not very seen in this Barely movie. Barely in this movie and he's really like a Silence of the Lambs kind of situation. Yeah. What like Buffalo Bill? Oh, you're talking no, about Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, and yeah. Sounds of the Lambs, he's like not really, you know, it's like 10 minutes of screen time or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... so And remind me, did Sounds of the Lambs, the book, come out before the other stuff? Yeah, Han- you were right earlier when you said Hannibal was the one where they, they were like, write another book. So he wrote Sounds of the Lambs and it just threw in this, this killer, this cannibal... Well, he had written Maneater. I mean, he had re- Red Dragon. Oh, that's right. He had written Red Dragon first. Red Dragon, and then he wrote Sounds right. of the that's Lambs. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, but still, he was in prison for that movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. And I know we did a whole podcast yeah. on it, but I'm just reappreciating. It's interesting that. that the two books where he's not in prison are terrible stories. Maybe there's a pattern there. Maybe he should have been in prison and consulting in well, the other two. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Hoffmeister's... He's a bad guy, so we don't want to celebrate his actions. So we made bad movies about him. <laughs> Do you remember how bad uh, Hannibal Rising was? Oh, gosh, it was terrible. That was one of the worst we've ever covered. Yeah. That was up there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I still don't know if it gets worse than Apocalypse, though. X-Men That's Apocalypse, man. Um, yeah, so then uh, this Hoffmeister calls the police captain and uh loman and he he's ba- loman is like uh, loman is a character unto himself yeah and and there's some nice like kind of comedy almost mm-hmm. where where he he really doesn't want to talk to hoffmeister because he's disgraced and then he's also on his way out the door he's like man this is the first time in a long time i'm not going to miss the first act of this play that he's going to oh was it, i i don't think i, I think yeah that he like, said he, that. like he had evening plans and stuff but then hoffmeister called like you said he's disgraced so he's like tell him he's a scoundrel and blah 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 yeah but he does get on the phone with him he does and he hears that that there's like this criminal organization thing happening and he's about to tell him the name and then we hear and see that someone came in but it's it's very like i shouldn't say hitchcockian because hitchcock and and lang would be contemporaries right now but but it's that that very much like oh we didn't see the action happen but i assumed he was killed actually in this Uh scene um and then we'll we'll come back to that later um but then i think he starts singing oh yeah is it it Oh, yeah, I guess it's pretty right away that they go to the crime scene. Mm-hmm. He does go missing, though. Yes. Yeah, he goes missing. He's yes. missing for a portion. Yeah, and so they go to this crime scene. They're looking for Hoffmeister. Um, I love I love this part in this scene. So Loman's going around doing detective stuff. Yeah. And he goes over to the window, notices there's some scratch marks on it, and uh-huh. I just love the way it's shot. Where we're now on the outside looking in, and his hand, his back is to the mirror, to the yeah, window, yeah. and he mimes scratching the window with his hand, like yeah. with a ring, and I that just was like, man, this like such satisfying detective, hard boiled stuff work. Yeah, because because we find out that Hoffmeister, you know, someone came in, he was 
scared, went to the window and tried to scratch the name. They don't know that yet. We know that. And we assume that pretty immediately that I didn't, he wrote. I didn't assume that. Oh, okay. Well, he well, said. I guess, I mean, I knew who he was trying to tell him yeah, about, but yeah. yeah. Um, and so, but it, but it's very, uh, it's a light etching. So it's kind of hard to tell what it is. They take the pane of glass. And then at some point, it, Hoffmeister has been found. Mm-hmm. And he's at this insane asylum. And it's the same insane asylum where Dr. Mabuse is. Now, uh, the, what's, what's pretty wild is in this next scene, the psychologist proceeds to explain what happened in the first movie. And, I, you know, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, at, from a modern lens, it's like, okay, was this a good way to jump back into the sequel? You know, this is early on. You can't really judge a movie like this. But I'm like, was it a good way? And then I thought, you know what? Actually, if you watch this movie and you hadn't seen the first one, you'd you'd be all set mm-hmm. because of this one scene. So mm-hmm. I thought, no, this was good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of sums it up. He gets into how terror affects a person. Yes. Which I thought was cool because when Hoffmeister is found, he has gone mad. And he is co- constantly thinking that he's on the phone with Loman. Like the, yeah, he, he's constantly reliving the last conversation he had before being assumedly kidnapped. Yeah, um, and is trying to talk to Loman. But anytime anyone he sees anybody, he'll start singing just like he did. Right, right. So it's like, what did he see? Yeah, that caused him to lose his mind. And then with Mabuse, he, as we know from the last movie, he went insane by the end. And has been in this insane asylum the whole time, or since then. And he has been sitting up in bed the whole time, moving his hand. And eventually they gave him a a paper and pen. And slowly he he started writing sentences. Right. First they're incoherent, but now they kind of seem like they're starting to become something. Yeah. And and I think they start... Yeah, I think they start, like, making actual, you know... Like plans. They and do because things. of what that guy discovers later. When what was that? The dude that is in the professor's office. Yeah. And he he drops a bunch of the professor's papers and is looking at them. Oh duh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, keep going though. We may but, as well. So yeah, there are a bunch of Mabusa's notes that the professor studies and he's, you know, just like looking at them. Yeah. And then he notices that some of the notes are exactly explaining a recent jewelry rob- yeah. jewel jeweler robbery. And he pulls out the paper and it's like beat by beat what the criminals did. Right. To rob the place. Now, th- so this makes me wonder, you know, if if we're taking this allegory of the Third Reich and Hitler. You know, Hitler writes Mein Kampf uh, of course, and and you know, then he's like creating his edicts and he's gathering all of his power. D- do you think that maybe there's a statement like, when something is this evil and this powerful, like, because he's using hypnosis, and I I always think of hypnosis in the allegory of this series as just like being able to control the masses. He's in his jail cell. But he's writing these things. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this thought out coherently. But it it feels to me like like he is writing these things, and there's kind of a mass hypnosis where like people are just understanding these plans, even though he's writing them in his prison. Does that hmm. make make sense? Kind of much much like you know he Hitler 
wrote Mein Kampf. He started doing all of this stuff, and then and then the masses just be, start becoming like hypnotized by the power, whether Hitler's in the room or not. People are like following the Third Reich. They're doing well, what it's like is once asked you of them. once you understand the theory of something or the idea of something, you can implement it yourself. Yeah, and you you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, how did the okay? So oh, okay, you have a criminal organization that Mabuse is controlling. Um, we don't really know how he's controlling it for most of the time, and it's still yeah. a little confusing to me. Um, so how he communicates to them is he'll send people like telegrams, and it's like. Meet, meet at 10 yeah. or 1 a.m. tonight yeah. or something. And so the the appointed people go to this room and there's a curtain and no one's to look behind the curtain. Yeah. But later on it's revealed. It's like the silhouette of a person. Yeah. So it's not a real person. Which was a cool, that was like, was whoa, cool this is crazy. And a speaker. Yeah. Because he is talking, but it's like, who is setting this up? How does this work? Is he just projecting him, his self? Well, so like, in the logic of the story, I guess the only thing you could say is that he, he like a supervillain, like had everything planned out to the f- finest detail. But I think if you're going allegorically, I think it's, and this was, was this was the point I was trying to make, but it's like impossible for me to make for some reason, is that like, like absolute evil can just like spread like that, and and like have a maybe it's like. Once evil gives birth, it has a mind of its own. Hmm. And so that that's kind of what I thought about the movie. Because once he died in the movie, I, I with my modern lens, I was like, oh, he hypnotized everyone there. He faked his death. He's going to get out. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to. And I also know there's a third movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, he's definitely alive. But then he like basically. Uh, jumps consciousness. Jumps consciousness and all of this stuff. So I think that. That it's like, yeah, when once evil is given birth, it, it can't be stopped, I think is maybe part of the message. Or like once a political thing like this happens, you can't stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Although having said that, he does occupy the professor's body, and I think maybe the professor's on the speaker. So like the internal logic of the story. So he's been doing that throughout the movie without the professor's knowledge. That, that would be like oh, my that, plot That's thought. interesting because earlier pretty early on in the movie we see the professor goes in his office and tells his assistant like i am not to be disturbed yeah so maybe he's already like hip- hypnotized by him hmm. which, which makes he's sense really interested in him yeah and there's that scene where he's he basically equates mabuse to like he basically says this man whether it's evil or not he like he knows that the world kind of has to be recreated and destroyed Mm -hmm. and he's a genius and in in some ways like i love him because he 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 knows these things and it's endlessly fascinating to me so he's Mm -hmm. like learning all the wrong lessons about him so even by then it's like mabuse's uh influence is like strong on this psychologist Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um wow this movie's getting better and better as we talk about it it's really it i'm thinking of the the last scene in the dark knight not the very last scene, but when he's hanging upside down, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing that this movie influences it, it's like, oh, that makes the Dark Knight even cooler mm-hmm. because it, like that whole sequence where he gets to do his speech, where he's like, we're going to do this forever, Batman. And then he says, uh, you know, he's talking about chaos and like, we're, you know, I he set up all this stuff and then he's getting ready for everything to explode. And then Batman's like, you didn't count on people like being good people mm-hmm. and like helping it this is all 
Dark Knight, in some ways, is almost like the opposite of this movie because it's fighting for hope, whereas this movie's talking about how like it is kind of hopeless. And because of those two moments in history, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, we might have to watch Dark Knight soon. Yeah. <laughs> That'll never be a hard one to throw on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, I wrote there... Oh, yeah, in that scene where Captain Lohman is uh, investigating the, the crime scene where Hoffmeister was... The camera is doing like a one shot where it's panning mm-hmm. back and forth. Just wanted to point that out. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, Doctor glimpses Mabuse faded in the corner. So yeah, he's starting to like see him places and stuff like that. Um, and then we see we're introduced to this character. Um, I forget his name. Kent. Kent. And he, Tom Kent. Mm-hmm. I remember they said Tom a lot. And I was just thinking of succession every time they said Tom. Tom now means succession to me. Um, so Kent is someone who's wrapped up in the crimes. But a year earlier, he went to the unemployment office, couldn't get a job. He reverted to crime. And he kind of got caught up into this thing. And, and, and he even has this kind of speech when he's in the unemployment office, which is like, you're driving people to crime. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to go to crime, but what else am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And so then he meets this woman at the office, Lily, and she gives him 20 marks. And then in six months, he pays her back. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they've got a romance. But then and and this is where I I I felt like the the Nazi stuff was really obvious. There was something about the scene that reminded me and I had mentioned it while we're watching it reminded me of Inglorious Bastards. Specifically, when Daniel Bruhl's character just like sees uh, with him and Shoshana at that cafe. Uh huh. Do you remember that scene? No, I don't. Oh my gosh, he is so. I didn't. I didn't watch the movie two times in one day when I first saw it. You, but but you've had to have seen it at least (laughs) ten times. I don't think so. I've probably seen it four times, maybe three or four times. Yeah, he he discovers her and he comes inside and he's you know he's really into her, but she's not into this Nazi. And it's it's just such a, um, I don't know. He's just so charming in yeah. the scene, and the cafe like set reminded me of it. I mean, we're talking well. Tarantino. I would not be surprised if that if this was an influence. Yeah. Although the cafe set kind of reminded me of like a ton of movies from this, you know, yeah, the black and Let white me have days. This. No, 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 no. I'm not taking it away. I'm just like, uh, it it pro- he probably is kind of ref, especially with the Nazi set. Yeah, it's it is probably that. Mm-hmm. And kind of the, you know, like this movie and Inglorious. I mean, Inglorious, it's, you know, Daniel Brule is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But in a way, he is still being like, but there were like people that existed in the mm-hmm. Nazi party. They he were, is like a quote unquote small town hero. Yeah. And, you he, know? and any anytime we see him, he seems like a relatable person. I mean, he's a little creepy, actually, as the movie well, yeah, goes on. Well, yeah, he becomes possessive and he is possessive yeah. and stuff and... But yeah, I know what you're trying to say. So it's like both of these movies are kind of like questioning the morality of a bad guy, at least uh-huh. for portions of their runtime. Uh-huh. Uh, I think. I, it's been a little bit yeah, since well, I've seen Glorious. While Tom Kent and Lily are here, he, he he says like he's trying to confess his love to her, uh-huh. but she like flees before he can. I think she's scared. Yeah. Um, but then we learned that he works for Baboose. Yes. And so he's 
torn and and uh, what I was saying earlier is th- this is what was like the most obvious Nazi stuff for me was was in these scenes where he was questioning what they were doing and and other characters also were questioning like why are we doing this or do we have to kill people and uh, Mabuse would either you know voice would show up or whatever and he'd be like no you do not question me you follow yeah. the orders I really liked the scene where it's all the dudes there yeah and and they are like. Kent is questioning killing people. Yeah. And because I think there's an assignment given where they are to do that. And this one dude like corners him and is like, oh, what? You have a problem killing people. We're all criminals anyway. Blah, blah, blah. And Kent's like, like, it's really none of your business. But since you're asking, I have killed two people. And that's why I wouldn't want to kill another, like kill anybody yeah, else. Yeah. Yeah. That really was cool. That. Yeah. Um, so then the there's the there's that scene with the where the papers fall and the the guy starts putting it together talks to the professor so is that guy with the cops or is he just another doctor i think he was just a doctor okay um and uh then he's leaving and he starts being chased by one of the thousand eyes of dr mabuse um and so there's someone following him and this is when i was like oh baby this this is that good 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 cinema stuff going on here he's sitting at a stoplight and he's in a car and then there's a car behind him with a bad guy in it who we know who wants to kill him we're we're pretty he's sure ordered to kill him yes that's right and he kind of taps his driver to get him to honk his horn they're at a stoplight and they all start honking horns and there's like six or seven cars and they're all honking their horns honking 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 and then the camera pulls out to a wide and you see smoke coming out of one car and then it the the police let the intersection go and all the cars drive away and there's one car just sitting there and it's the guy who was piecing it all together and he slumped over mm-hmm. and i was just like magnifico that is such an amazing way to show this whole like a, a, an assassination of a person it was awesome it was so good and and by the way uh M in particular, but you can see it in this as well, and even the gambler. Um, Lang is like very much one of the foundations of film noir. Oh, okay. Which of course is pretty obvious when you're talking about a movie like this, and and M is like one of the pinnacle like noir movies. Oh. Um, yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, and and this scene really reminds me of that type of film, you know. Uh, yeah. So, uh, they do that jewelry heist. Okay. Why? Uh, oh yeah. And so they're questioning like, why, why does, you know, Dr. Mabuse, why does he not want money? He doesn't take any money. Um, so, you know, there's just all this mystery, you know, I, I wonder how much of like the rise to Hitler had people in the ranks or whatever, just kind of being like, he takes care of his people. Yeah, or like, what is he doing? Like, what is uh-huh. his advantage at this point? You know. Um, but then Hoffmeister is in the insane asylum, and Loman uh, uh, goes to meet him, and learns nothing. Yeah, uh, but it's shot really cool mm-hmm. uh, because there's like kind of like a see-through set mm-hmm. uh, where we see what Hoffmeister sees, which is like the last it, thing that he saw. Yeah, and then it disappears. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like some sort of you know. 
they're putting film on top of film kind of a thing, but yeah. it, it's effective nonetheless. Um, and then Tom gets threatened by Mabuse, and there is no way out alive, is what he says to him. Um, and so he says goodbye to Lily. Right. Writes her a letter. Yes. Um, and then the glass expert figures out that what was written was Mabuse. Uh-huh. And so they're they're putting it together, but by now, I believe, oh, the next scene, we see that Dr. Mabuse is dead. Mm-hmm. And again, I thought that he was hypnotizing people. <laughs> um, I mean, in a way, he was and is. But he dies, which is So were you nuts. saying about the hypnosis thing when you were trying to formulate your thought? Yeah. Was the hypnosis is basically a, like, representation of the of how bad ideas get into people's heads and and into like groups of people and then it just snowballs that that wasn't what i was saying or no that was what that was like what i was trying to say but you said it much more eloquently and you kind of made it make even more sense than i thought thank you yeah yeah it's like it's like a, any any there's like a you know especially the world we live in right now it just feels like Someone can have so many mabuses around, right? (laughs) Well, yes, but someone can have a crazy idea, like a crazy idea, like John F. Kennedy Jr. is alive and living on the East Coast. He is. He's gonna (laughs) run for president. Yeah, he's gonna run for president as a Republican for some reason. (laughs) But but like someone can have that idea. It's crazy. No one in their right mind would believe that. And then, and then now with the internet, it's like. It, it gets just enough people that then it becomes like a movement. And then you have, I think that's actually still pretty on the fringe. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Q stuff, but there's still like a lot of people that believe that kind of stuff. And and it's so snowballed out of control. There, there's no way to like ground that person in reality. As far as I understand it, mm-hmm. you know, well then you get to a point where uh, a person tweets, uh, don't give up everyone. We're not losing. And then you get a bunch of people storming a building. Yeah. To try and take it over. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just making it up. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Just like a wild, wild thing. Right, right. And it it makes it really scary for what's going to happen next year. Uh Yeah. I'm scared for next year. Uh, It's going to be real, real bad. Um, So, yeah. I guess I guess uh, on on election night maybe we'll just rewatch this movie to to help ourselves. I don't know if that would be helpful. <laughs> maybe we'll watch The Dark Knight because <laughs> we can count on people, you know, being good. Hopefully, um, yeah. So okay, and then this is where the doctor talks about how Mabuse could have seen the world through destruction. The only way humans can do things is by hate. So, uh, yeah, great. Um, I wrote netting doctor at 12. I think I was looking at the screen and typing, but I believe that this is when Mabuse, uh, in like appears to the doctor. Yes. Can you talk about that while I try and look up the quote? The doctor slash psychologist slash professor is going over the Testament of Mabuse. Um, and before him at his desk, Mabuse appears, but he's got like a weird mask on. Or like, yeah, like his eyes are like alien-like. Mike, 
Combs sent me his notes uh-huh. from from the movie, and one thing he noted is, especially if you, uh, he said he looks like the Emperor from Star Wars. And while I, oh brother, no, no, but what <laughs> I'm was just, funny I'm just is, kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't agree with that, and then I thought <laughs> about in Empire Strikes Back, the original <laughs> actor that they that they later replaced. It does actually look a lot like that. Oh, sure. Because they put this weird mask on a person. Dude, does he know that this movie was made first? Uh, George Lucas. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, keep. But keep, you did keep you going. find anything about like why they chose this makeup or something? I didn't see that. No. Okay. No. Just curious. Yeah, I think it's just demented. It's like it's like he's becoming more evil, maybe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it looks really cool. So he appears before him and is like commanding him to carry on his mission. Yeah. And so he has this quote, which apparently is basically just a either Hitler or Nazi quote with words, a couple of words changed. So he says, the ultimate purpose of crime is to establish the endless empire of crime, a state of complete insecurity and anarchy founded upon the tainted ideals of a world doomed to annihilation. When humanity, subjugated by the terror of crime, has been driven insane by fear and horror, and when chaos has become supreme law, then the time will have come for the empire of crime. Jeez, that's chilling. It is, it is. And, and, and you know, of course you can think about that in regards to freaking Nazism, where it's like, you know, Germany is disheveled, it's ruined, and now there, there needs to be a world order, and it's us. Um, so then our boy Kent, he, uh, tells Lily that he was in prison. Well, she shows up and confesses her love to him before he can say bye, bye, bye. Yes. Bye, bye, bye. She, yeah, she's like very much like, why would I not love you anyway? And then he's explains that he's killed two people. It was a crime of passion. Yeah. Um, his, it was someone else he was involved with was cheating on him. Uh, I'm forgetting, but something like that. He killed a past lover and her, her lover or something. Yeah. I think, or he assumed that they were together. Yeah. Very Shawshank. Yes. Um, (laughs) And he only got four years for it. Apparently. Yeah. Um, And her response is, how could I still not love you though? And it's like, okay lady, let's, I did. That scene worked for me though, because she, she was like, you know, he's like, I have a pass, and she, I forget the exact phrase, but it's something like, and why should that matter? And no, 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 yeah, she keeps saying that. I, I'm not, I'm yeah, not yeah. like and truly then, critiquing And then this. he's like, I've committed crimes, why should that matter? And mm-hmm. then he's like, I've killed a, a, I've killed someone, why should that matter? And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, that's cool. But And I he know tells her means. he's leading a cl- criminal life. Yeah. And while she's there, he's supposed to be doing a job. Yes. That involves killing more people. Yeah, and he didn't do it. He, he didn't want to go. So he gets in trouble and is summoned by Mabuse. Yes. And she comes with him. Well, they're yes. like kidnapped to go to him. Right. Earlier in the movie, there was they, they allude to like one dude pulled tried pulling back the curtains where Mabuse is once and that like he died instantly. Yeah. So there was like even more of a mystery surrounding how this works. Uh-huh. So when they get there, you know, Mabuse is like telling them that they're going to die. Like they have three hours to live and they're not ever coming out of this room again. Uh So it's like, okay, there's an explosive. They pull back the curtain and there's no, that's what we discover that there's no man behind the curtain. Yeah. It's just a speaker. 
Yeah. Which again, if we want to, if we want to take, take it to the allegory, I feel like at least I kind of take it as also a commentary on like the, the over, like the overreaching nature of a dictatorship, but also like the cowardice involved Hmm. where, you know, like the man himself is not going to, not going to show up to these things because he's at heart. He's a coward. That that's how I take it. That's my own little like reading. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but you know, I know everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so the, them trying to bust out of the room is how what happens while this is happening. Well, while that's happening, um, Loman is able to figure it out, and they they like attack like a gang of criminals. And they go to this apartment, and they're trying to get to them. Another uh, one of the guys in the apartment kills himself, and the way that was shot was also very classic noir, mm-hmm. uh, and was like, oh wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then um, and he's able to capture one guy, and he's trying to figure he captures out like three of them. Oh yeah, but but he he's he does this yeah. great thing where he's like, look at these two bullets. What what what's different about him? And the guy's like nothing. And he's like, that's what I thought too. And that's what ballistics are the equivalent of thought too. And he's like, one of those bullets is from the gun your friend had or you had or whatever. And then the other gun is no. The other bullet came from the guy that was shot. Yeah, at the the traffic light. Yeah. Thing. So he put it together. You know, I and that's very cool. Um. So, um. Yeah, so then Kent and Lily escape after flooding the room with water and dampening the explosion. Uh, and, and, you know, watching old movies, I, I wonder, because, like, this, the last, like, half hour of this movie is very, quote, action-packed. Mm-hmm. And um, y- you got to wonder, like, like, we look back on it now and we're like, oh, my gosh, so artistic. Like, this movie's so artistic, but... Uh, the audience back then are they like popcorn time like <laughs> this part is awesome he's going to blow up a factory and and all this stuff and is it the equivalent of now you know someone being like oh my gosh and then it goes into a CGI fest but in 100 <laughs> years they'll be like oh my gosh this slow CGI fest you know you ever think about it probably it's the same do you think about that i didn't think about that but that i i like thinking about it right now oh um so then um Mabuse has this plan to like blow up this factory and you know, it all leads to that. They don't get there in time. It blows up. Now there was a siren in the scene and it was like a five minute scene. And I I was like, Oh my gosh, the scene has to end. Like I'm about to start like twitching from the siren, you know, early days of sound. They were probably just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm hearing a siren. There it is again. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, But for me, Oh my gosh. And then they start chasing the professor, who, of course, is inhabited by Dr. Mabuse. Mm-hmm. And they're chasing him. And there's this cool shot where he's standing in the car as, a, as like, a Mabuses. see-through silhouette. Yeah. And he's basically telling him to keep going, mm-hmm. keep going. And this is where Goebbels said, now the professor should die. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And uh, which would be a stupid. Um because it's it's much more interesting that then he goes back to the insane asylum and he starts writing 
and writing and writing. So like the the evil just continues and mm-hmm. continues. And it, it is it is a pretty it's kind of a dour ending. Kind of a dour movie. Um I I kind of rushed through a lot of that. I don't know if yeah, there's anything no, I kind of forgot you how wanted it ended, to. So do. Is there like a last line or something? There was a last line, and uh, Mike had a great suggestion for how we should end this podcast on that last line. So before we do, I wanted to make sure that you said all you all you wanted to say. That this movie is really cool, and I understand if you don't want to watch a four-and-a-half-hour silent movie, even though I think you should, but if you're like, I really don't want to, then watch this one. Uh-huh. It's so freaking awesome, and don't give me the BS about it. It's black and white. It's so boring. Do people still think that? I hear people say that still. Oh my gosh, that's insane to yeah. me. Who cares if it's in this black and white? This movie is just as exciting and cool and gripping as a movie that came out today. We watched Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, which is also oh. a dated reference now. Yeah. But, like... Well, it, it's only 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was a really bad example. <laughs> but just it, it's, as, it's as good as something like that that's in full color and yeah. full technicolor. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Um, yeah, I I really, really enjoyed uh, the movie. It, it took me a second because I think my expectation for the movie was way different than what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- as the days have gone on, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, you know, one of the greats, easy. Uh, but, but of course, uh, sometimes, especially with movies that you told are great movies, sometimes you have to, like, sit with it for a second to, uh-huh. to get it. Yeah. Um, so... Would recommend next week we're doing The 1,000 Eyes of Dr. Mabuse. Um, and we're, we're, we're not, well, we are going to do a series. We are going to do a, a series. We're going to release a couple Patreon episodes, and then we are going to do a series. And me, you know what? I'll announce the series as a little tag on those extra episodes. So, um, Thank you for listening, everyone. Please go to patreon.com slash Micah McCaw and sign up to get extra episodes every single month. Uh, this month, it's 22 Jump Street. And there are there's now a free trial on Patreon. So you have seven days. You could download all of them and just binge them like crazy um, and then hopefully forget to unsign up or have so much fun that you're like, wow, this is worth less than a cup of coffee every single mm-hmm. month. Um And yeah, thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, send it to a friend. And as always, welcome, my friends. There's nothing left to do here for a couple mere podcasters. (laughs) 